Welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast, where you can learn from entrepreneurs and investors who are driving progress in healthcare and life science across the globe. I'm your host, Joe Schunkweiler, a physician and former health tech executive now supporting startups and investors at Amazon Web Services. Today, I'm joined by Dr. John Ng, CEO and founder of Iterative Scopes, a company using artificial intelligence-based precision medicine in gastroenterology with the aim of establishing a new standard of care for the detection and treatment of gastrointestinal diseases. John and I discuss why healthcare entrepreneurship is so often a winding path, how skepticism can be an asset for a founder, and why raising large amounts of money is often a double-edged sword for startup teams. Enjoy. Dr. John Ng, CEO and founder of Iterative Scopes. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, Joe. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Can you start off just tell us and telling us a bit about what Iterative Scopes is and what you do? Sure. Um, so Iterative Scopes is um, an AI-first company. We essentially apply computer vision algorithms to GI gastrointestinal diseases. Um, we use these computer vision algorithms to measure severity of disease. We also, um, for example, in colorectal cancer, we help to detect polyps, um, find more polyps for physicians that will then help them to um, resect these dangerous uh, lesions. In, for example, um, diseases like inflammatory bowel disease, we, you, we help to measure severity of disease across time. Uh, we use this data for a number of uh, number of uh, number of functions. Um, so, for example, uh, helping physicians to um, determine the uh, impact of drugs on their patients, helping pharmaceutical companies also to determine the efficacy of their clinical trials, um, and also to help to recruit the right patients into the into the right trials as well. So what about your own, your journey and background coming to this? Like why, uh, why tackle this, this segment with your experience? Yeah, that's a, a, a great question. So I got quite a, a long journey in healthcare till date. And I think Iterinoscopes um, is, is really a combination of my experience in healthcare um, over a period of, I'd say now nearly 20 years. Um, so my own journey, I'm originally from Singapore, grew up really middle class, um, and I had my first um, experience in healthcare um, out, outside of Singapore in, in, in Cambodia, which back in the day, um, when I was 15, um, I was invited by um, a friend's dad, uh, who happened to be a surgeon, um, to Cambodia to help carry his bags. And as part of this journey, as part of this trip, um, I had the opportunity to, uh, you know, enter a, a pediatric hospital, and I realized that um, there was nothing in the hospital. It was wooden beds, three kids to a bed, um, surgical table was built with an IKEA table um, and torch lights, and uh, the lights would, you know, electricity would normally go out, and that made me firstly really curious, but also uh, it kind of um, shocked me, where, where I realized that, uh, you know, the situation which even neighboring countries to Singapore um, was facing, their reality was very different. Um, where a place like Cambodia had recently, back then recently undergone um, 
intellectual genocide where the Khmer Rouge and the Pol Pot regime had decided to wipe out their intellectual class and um, starting with physicians and teachers. Mm. And so I said, hey, this is, you know, it's only two hours away from Singapore. We come up, I come from a, a really, uh, I would say, privileged society. Uh, we have a lot of resources in Singapore. And I just found it to be really unacceptable to stand by and watch. And, and so uh, that eventually led to me uh, spending the next, I'd say, about 15 years um, doing a couple of things, building, helping to build the first um, open heart surgery programs for uh, heart surgery for kids uh, in Cambodia. Uh, the, their first neonatal wards, which is uh, care for babies under 28 days, both ICU as well as normal care. Um, burns and reconstructive units. So um, we created the first pediatric ones in Cambodia. And then uh, we moved on to building whole hospitals in rural Cambodia as well. We built quite a few. Um, these hospitals are around today um, and they see about a thousand kids a day, each hospital. But um, I think the most important thing was um, it gave me a really early insight into how healthcare uh, really was in the majority of the world and how we weren't on track to catching up and helping them to catch up. To the disparity that we were seeing. So but as I approached my 15th anniversary in working in Cambodia, um, you know, and meanwhile I had gone through med school, um, I, I had done that fair bit of surgical training, and um, I, you know, just felt really disappointed at how uh, we had the how we were doing things, right? We we were not, um, I just felt like as we started examining different countries and different areas in Cambodia where we could uh, work in as well. We just kept, I just kept feeling like, um, had a sinking feeling that we were back at square one again, where it's just facing the same problems, facing the same issues. Um, and at the core of which was, um, you know, information or medical knowledge transfer where we take, you know, 15 years to train a physician, um, including 10 for specialization and, um, and, we couldn't do that faster and it's just insufficient today. How did you get from there to a, you know, very private sector commercial enterprise? Um, I know some of these stories, but I also want, you know, I, I'd love that because I think the bridge is particularly relevant to then how you get to iterative scopes. So I, I ended up breaking my wrist. Um, so, you know, during my uh, clinical days, um, I was a total surgical junkie. I, I love surgery. Um, but, um, you know, at the end of that was, I ended up breaking my wrist in a car accident, um, and having to take some time off, um, that really forced me to think about the, why I was in healthcare, um, and refocus my, 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 uh, intention. Um, you know, I realized that the, why I was in healthcare was to help as many people as I could. Um, and that did not necessarily mean, um, doing it with my own two hands in the, in a surgical theater. In fact, the more I thought about it, the more frustrated I got because I was like, well, hospitals are seeing a thousand kids a day in Cambodia and being extremely well run, whereas um, I, I would struggle with like one or two patients a day, right? And it would like really tire me out. And so um, I decided to take some time off and I said, hey, I need some time to rethink how uh, we're doing things. Um, and um, by then I was working in the Ministry of Health in Singapore, overseeing a lot of our surgical policy work. Um, and I decided to apply for grad school. So ended up um, applying for um, and getting into uh, MIT, doing my MBA there. Um, and I was also at Harvard doing my MPA and uh, teaching as a healthcare policy fellow as well. And so um, 
moving out to the, uh, the U.S. about four and a half years ago. And so MIT was sort of like the, the bridge step that got you into founding a, a startup to work on these challenges at scale, essentially. You know, um, it's funny, and, and you, know, you and I have talked about our shared experience, um, that you never think about scale when you're a clinician. It's not a word that you use. It's a, you know, maybe in the public health space, but never in, um, you know, never in the context of direct clinical care. And when I made the jump over to the policy world, it sounds like you've done some of that through your uh, time in, in Cambridge and Boston. Um, that was the first time that I, the concept of it came through. Um, but not, even then I would never have used the word scale because it's a very businessy you know, word uh, to think about. So what I love about iterative scopes is that it, it, it fits into the way clinicians that are doing these uh, scopes for GI disorders think and approach the process. Like it's sort of, we always talk about workflow with healthcare tools and it really seems to nestle neatly in the workflow, the existing workflow. Um, is that an accurate statement for, for how you envisioned it? Uh, absolutely. I, you know, I think from day one, we had, had this obsession around workflow and making it really as convenient as possible for physicians to adopt this, understanding that uh, one of the toughest problems in healthcare is simply adoption. Um, you know, you, you get a physician and having been then, I think being able to empathize with that, um, it also carries through to my own behavior today where you ask me to, you know, do two extra clicks and I'm like, I don't want to do it. No way. Right? Yeah. It, it, yeah. There's, there's no way. <laughs> I'm going to take the, 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 the straightest path towards right. my objective. Right. It's a very surgical mindset clicks. too. Yeah. Right. Efficient if it, nope. economy of motion, you know, and efficiency. Yeah. So, so I think placing that demand on ourselves and placing the, the intellectual rigor there behind trying to think about how, we can reduce steps to um, adoption and then steps to uh, utility. Um, it's, it's just been really critical in our work today. Um, and I believe it's gonna uh, pay itself off eventually as well. Through the ideation stages um, with your time at MIT and thinking through solving big problems, um, what, what was the spark? Like, how did you go from this is a problem to this becomes a, a software-based solution to this is a company? Because uh, that is not, a, not always the most straightforward path. Yeah. So I think I, where I started with was um, a North Star of um, what I want to do, um, which was to, you know, my North Star for coming to school in the first place was um, how can I use technology to close in on healthcare disparities and gaps there? Um, and then looking, you know, understanding as well that um, most innovations and most big leaps within healthcare did not come from within healthcare. And so having an open mind there, like it's just really difficult to create new technology within healthcare. The, the risk aversion is too high. The, the cost is too high. There isn't enough investment. It's not the right mix. So, but I was like, are, are there technologies which are right uh, out there, which are right to bring into healthcare that, I can be at the leading edge of and decide on the how we bring into healthcare. Um, and so approaching, approaching the problem with, oh, approaching the, the North Star with, a, with an open mind, um, I arrived at MIT and 
within the first few months, uh, came into contact with um, basically computer vision as the technology. Um, I think uh, one of the first areas where, where I saw it was, um, and you know, we have this, uh, what we call like demo day for Delta V, um, which is our, our accelerator program at MIT. And um, someone was working on uh, computer vision algorithms for autonomous vehicles. Um, I think back then was they were building uh, repositories of videos for autonomous cars. And I was like, that looks like fascinating technology, but if only I could use it in healthcare, right? I mean, they were drawing bounding boxes around cars, cats, dogs, trees. And I was like, why can't I draw these boxes around, um, you know, various types of tumors, for example. Uh, but perhaps not with the same use case, I'm not trying to drive something around the body, but perhaps I use the data to uh, other areas in which we need to count these uh, objects or other areas in which we need to classify these uh, objects, right? And what, it mean, and what does that actually mean for patients? How much do physicians actually care about it? Um, so thinking about it that way instead. Since those early stages, have you pivoted at all? Like how, you know, has it been sort of a direct line then? Okay, we have the technology, we have the need, um, let's marry the two and then let's just get it in Doc's hands. Any, you know, winding paths along that way that you, you'd like to share? A winding path is uh, the right way to describe it. Um, I would say I, I like to approach these, uh, you know, entrepreneurial questions with a really open mind. Uh, understanding that um, healthcare is not static. It's slow to change, but at the same time, it's definitely not static um, around what the market demands, what physicians uh, perceive to be um, the right solution at the right time. Um, what, you know, for example, pharmaceutical companies are investing in at the point in time. Uh, one needs to take a step back and consider all these different factors and try and Find your, you know, find a spot in the middle of that intersection. as what I constantly try to do, and so especially as uh, you know, picking while I started with an initial thesis around, yeah, you know, computer vision in healthcare, picking a specialty which I thought was very visually dependent, which is gastro, but at the same time didn't have much competition. At the same time, had endpoints in the in their care models which uh, was visually driven all the way up to the FDA recognizing it as well, was what I did. But, you know, approaching it with an open mind as to like how we build a business model around it, how we uh, um, build our use case around it, who, who really cares about it, what, what, who our users are. Um, I think we have found many uh, new insights along the way as we speak to our customers, as we speak to physicians that are, have been really pivotal in um, our product and where it stands today. What did your early team look like? What other skills? Sounds like you had some, certainly the technical know-how with such a, like a deep tech solution embedded in what you were doing, but yeah, talk, what was that? What was that first, first few hires or the founding team like at Iterative Scopes? The, the first team members were consisting of myself and my closest classmates that I could find, I could persuade to work along myself. And, and you know, and also a couple of uh, undergrads from MIT who were looking for summer jobs. Um, it was literally 
let's hack it together. I have a working thesis. You may or may not think this is a long-term thing, but let's push some buttons and let's try um, to see if, if number one technology, asking ourselves what is the minimum needed to persuade ourselves that this might be a viable number one technology to apply into healthcare. But number two, um, you know, starting to ask ourselves like, is this the right field to approach it in? Is this the right specialty? Is this the right, uh, do we even have a business model here? Um, so uh, the earliest team was basically, you know, I started the company three months after I arrived in the US. And, and, and I, it's not like I, I, I have a ton of friends in the US at all. I was the only Singaporean in my year at MIT as well uh, at the business school. It was more like, hey, can I, you know, let's, let's grab a couple of people and let's try and run with it. Understanding that hey, entrepreneurship is also iterative in, in, in so many ways, not just a business model, but also in the type of people that I eventually will work with as well. And, and we still have the same approach today. Was there a specific moment when you thought this actually works as a business? Uh, and, and part of the reason I ask this is I had the opposite moment when I was at uh, my own journey at MIT with folks who were postdocs and engineers. And we had a technology that we had taken through um, a, an accelerator program. It was the, the classic case without getting into too many details of a novel, interesting technology that wasn't solving a problem that folks would pay for. There was no real business model for it. So it was, you know, in, a, in the most reductive sense, like a solution looking for a problem. And right. um, which is, you know, I learned a lot. It was interesting. It was exactly why I decided to leave clinical world and policy and go back to a place like MIT. But I had that moment where I thought this is not, this is not going to work as a business. Was there an opposite moment for you? Was there a mirror image where you're like, oh, somebody's going to pay for this. It's not just a cool thing to do. There's somebody who'll pay to make this an actual business. I think last year, we, we had our thesis all along. We have been trying, um, I would say for two years to, to work along this line. But last year was a really pivotal year for us where we had our first major contracts, not pilot contracts, but major contracts with uh, both providers, uh, pharma, as well as strategic partners come together all in the same year. Uh, last year was pretty much the year where I thought to myself, this might, this might really, really work. I, but in the, in the meanwhile, even up to today as well, I think a healthy dose of skepticism around, is this the right business? Is this the right business model? Uh, are there ways in which we can get better at this? Um, it's, it's always healthy for both myself and the company. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever told myself directly, like, this is it. This is what's going to work. I think at most, the gauge has gone up to like 60% uh, at max, right? And, and, and then it's come down and I, I, I'm always trying to not be overly skeptical of myself, but, but skeptical of myself, but uh, really trying to push ourselves forward into how we can do things better, how we can uh, build a better business here. Have you had to modulate that at all with teammates or investors? I would say yes. In terms of, you know, I think it's very different. So teammates, um, we have, I, I, have a, I have a fantastic team uh, here at Iterative Scopes. Um, you know, I, I just really couldn't ask for better in terms of folks who have been through the journey. We even have folks who have been here since day one. Um, 
still hustling alongside with me. Um, so it's, it's been a pretty incredible journey. I think uh, we all want to believe that uh, we've made it, but at the same time, I just constantly have to remind everyone like, hey, the day you get complacent is the day that this, this company you know, really starts to fall apart, right? And we're not here to build this, this small... The reason why we started the company was to move a needle and the needle is a really big one, right? So yeah, we might be impacting thousands of patients today, but you know, I would like to ask question of like, how do we get to, how do we get to two orders of magnitude higher, three orders of magnitude higher, right? Rather than just thousands, but just tens of thousands, which to me, it's like, it's nice, but it's still pretty trivial in terms of what, what's needed out there. For, for investors, I, I think we have a fair amount of investor enthusiasm right now. Um, having just come off our, our $150 million Series B raise, I think, and, and you know, we, we do get offered Series C um, checks fairly often. You know, the thing that we want to make sure that we are being cognizant about is matching our ability to deliver against, you know, fundraising. Um, I would say on retrospect, fundraising, while it does empower us to uh, do a lot more things, um, with a lot more confidence, there are a fair bit of downside uh, implications to raising massive amounts of money, right? The expectations go up. Um, you're forced to mature a lot faster. The company has to mature a lot faster. You bring in a whole different type of um, talent, right? And there's always a danger, I think, of feeling like the fundraising is the goal or the thing that you're doing and it's not it's a means to do the thing that you're trying to do that's what i've seen in the startup world over the last couple of years is sometimes in with good intentions people think oh we've we've done it we raised x millions of dollars and it's like that's not the thing the thing is what you're trying to do um and that money allows you to do that um do you feel like that's any like certainly as a ceo um you have to mitigate that that potential within your team um has that been an issue at all for you i'd say not a huge issue here i think we have the privilege of having really great investors that allow somewhat allow us to align not entirely but more or less align our objectives of you know what it would take to build a lasting company with uh what they feel is success and to support the next fundraise to you know, we've had that privilege of, of also interacting with some really savvy investors who understand what we're trying to build. And for those who don't, you know, I sometimes I think no loss, right? Um, it, it somewhat helps me as a, as a self-filtering self mechanism where, um, you know, we put out our objectives there. We say, hey, we're here to build a lasting business. These are some objectives which we've hit. Uh, which we think will help us to, to build a lasting, impactful company, right? And I understand your objectives. I understand what you are here for. And yeah, that's one of my priorities, but it's, it's ultimately not the priority that I have and allowing me to prioritize um, building a lasting company, an impactful, lasting company ahead of um, fundraising is what we look for. And, you know, as we, as we wrap up, I'd love to hear any lessons learned you have moving from not just the clinical side, um, because we see physician entrepreneurs all the time, you know, like there are two on this podcast, but, but not just that, but also globally, like bringing your global perspective from 
working in a different country than you were raised and then practicing in that country, then coming all the way, you know, on the other side of the world to the United States and starting a company. What are some of the lessons learned? Like, what do you incorporate from your, your clinical global mindset into what you're doing now? And how does that shape the vision that you have for iterative scopes? I think for myself, I apply this constantly, like trying to learn attitude, trying to um, get feedback for myself, trying to be as observant as possible about the world around me, not, not just in like Cambodia, not just in the Valley where we fundraise from, but every time I have an interaction, every time I, I visit a clinic, you know, I, I try to be out there, um, I guess be less out in front of everything and more soaking in uh, information, learning about, there's so much to learn about people, dynamics, interaction, how can we serve them better? How can we enter their daily lives um, in, a, in a more uh, less intrusive way and more along the lines of what they want to see and, and understanding things as a whole, you know, understanding people as a um, whole really matter a lot. People really matter a lot. And um, that goes down to even like my teammates, people we work with today, you know, our partners. Um, it's, it's all about relationships. It's all about people. And so I think uh, that would be my my number one learning throughout the years. John Ng, CEO and founder of Iterative Scopes. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Joe. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and rating. It helps others find us. To learn more about how AWS supports startups, please go to aws.amazon.com slash startups.